0: Let's begin. Let's begin. All right. So, welcome to another episode of Mosaic Station. Um, We uh, are coming to you today um, on June 11th, uh, 2020. Um, The reason why I mentioned the date is because I think it's important for us right now to kind of ground ourselves in where we are historically. Um, The topic that we're talking about today is uh, we really wanted to talk about some of the stuff that was going on right now, both on a national and international scale as it pertains to... Uh, violence against black bodies as it pertains to police brutality and as it pertains to kind of general systemic anti-black racism. Um, And uh, we're actually going to be doing a two-parter with this uh, podcast. For part one, we have some of our students um, who uh, uh, we work with a lot at Mosaic. Um, on this panel um, who will introduce themselves in just a second. Um, and they're going to be talking about their experiences uh, as such. And then for part two, what we're going to do is um, Sharon and I are going to kind of um, talk a little bit specifically about our own individual experiences and maybe share some stories that it's been a couple of years since we've shared um, and really kind of talk about from our own perspective what it means to do self work and what it means to kind of have those awakening moments for ourselves. Um, And hopefully that'll resonate with some of our listeners in terms of um, how to be allies, how to work from a place of privilege or a place of oppression. So um, having said that, we're gonna get started. Um, So my name again is Chris Yang. I'm the director of the Mosaic Cross Cultural Center. My pronouns are he, him, his. Um, And I'm gonna pass this off to Sharon.
1: Hi, everyone. Um, this is Sharon Singh. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Uh, I'm the program coordinator for Mosaic Cross-Cultural Center. Now I'll kick it off to Kenny.
2: Well, what's up, y'all? I'm Kenny. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, I'm a cultural programmer at Mosaic. And uh, kicking it off to Anoop.
3: What's up, folks? My name is Anoop, uh, pronouns. She, her, hers, and I'm currently serving as the AS Director of Academic Affairs. And I'm going to kick it off to Asia, my boo.
4: Hey, y'all. My name is Asia Adams, pronoun she, her, hers. I'm a recent graduate from San Jose State with a bachelor's degree in sociology and African-American Woo. studies, so hello. hello. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so um, thank you all for joining us. I know that um, you know Chris and I have been processing um, a lot of the news and how do we how do we show up, right? Um, especially in these weird times of also dealing with a pandemic and knowing how that's been impacting our SJSU community. Um, even before all of this happened, um, and all of this, I mean, you know, the ongoing violence against Black and, black brown, black and brown communities, but sp- specifically, you know, um, the murders of, I feel like way too many people in a span of two weeks. Um, and so, you know, um, kind of, how are you all, right? That's a very loaded question in these times. But along with how are you, what has been some defining moments for for the three, four of us, um, you know, during these last two weeks?
4: Wow, that's a big question to start with.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess I'll start um, I well, right now I'm feeling all right, but uh, when it was first starting, it was a lot. Um, I felt like I was like a like addicted to Twitter, like trying to see updates and what was going on. Like it felt like every second, every minute, something new was happening, um, and yeah i mean it's no not it hasn't slowed down but now that the coverage has slowed down um it's been kind of like a break and i've seen people kind of ease off and kind of like collect themselves for a little bit which i feel like is important as well Mm -hmm. um but a defining moment in the last two weeks i think is just seeing the power that the people have um just seeing I remember like waking up and like waking up to seeing like Target was burning down I was like oh shit like okay like like shit's happening like it's going down right now so just seeing the collective uh fight towards uh or against this has been really cool and just seeing like the education that's been going on on instagram like every day there's like oh this is what this is and this is what that Mm -hmm. is and Mm -hmm. here's how you can uh, be more anti-racist you know so yeah that's what it is for me Mm -hmm. um
4: you know these past two weeks have been really weird in regards to everything that's happening like sharon said like we're in a pandemic and unemployment is high and you know now we're in a full-blown like you know national like black lives matter versus all this and you know it's it's a lot but um i think for me on an individual level one defining moment would be um this conversation i had with my best friend um so i've known my best friend uh, since freshman year of high school. And, uh, she identifies as a white individual. She grew up in the United Kingdom, but moved here in high school. So she wasn't really adept to, you know, the, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like she didn't grow up in America. So she wasn't really aware of like all the historical factors that play into race here. And right. so throughout mm. her time, being friends and growing closer, she would hear me talk about, my own experiences or my experiences within the black community and she was always very sympathetic and would always make space for me to to talk but she could never really understand it right she would never Mm -hmm. really go as deep as really um under understanding I'm totally butchered that but totally understanding until now um in her household um she's having those deep conversations that a lot of white folks are having with their family members talking about this stuff. And in her household, it's like this kind of line of like, who agrees with what? So like, here's people Mm -hmm. on this side and here's people Mm -hmm. on this side. Um, But we were conversating the other day and she was telling me how she was having a conversation with her mother and her mother was just not understanding. Right. And it was like, as much as you tried and tried and tried to get her to get her to understand, it was like hitting a wall. And um, Mm -hmm. I kind of laughed. And, and, you know, not to be malicious or anything, but I laughed. And she said, you know, what's so funny? And I'm like, everything that I've been talking to you about everything that I've been trying to explain, and you listen, like, you're now understanding the work that it takes to put into this, right? Like, it's not just talk. And it's not just thoughts. Now, like, this is hard Mm -hmm. work. And you see Mm -hmm. how frustrated and exhausting it can be. But um, just recently, actually today, she told me that she had a breakthrough with her mom and just, she kept going at it and going at it. And there was finally mm-hmm. a breakthrough. And so I was super happy for her and I was like, great. Cause you know, it's, it's not marching in the streets. It's not posting on social media. I mean, that stuff is great, but like, these are the conversations with people who you love and people who you've known forever that you're going to have to have, because without mm-hmm. that, like, we're not mm-hmm. going to move forward. So that was really, that was a great um, personal connection that I had. A great defining moment. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, one less person who's not going to enact, right? The, mm -hmm. the ongoing dehumanization, (laughs) right? Like, whether we believe it or not, we we have to see it, and then when we see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, I know what you were saying.
3: Well, um I just wanted to add that it was heavy in the beginning for me, like Kenny had said. Um, I think it was heavier because I felt really isolated um, in mm. my feelings. Um, I felt trapped. And so about a week ago, I went in, I went to a sit-in. And um, I would like to recognize that I'm coming from a place of privilege as a non-Black person. And it was beautiful seeing everyone come together um, and just sit in silence. Mm-hmm. I know for me, it felt like there was so much noise and so much pollution going on in the world. And so just those moments of silence, that was the defining moment for me where I like collected my thoughts and i was like i'm not alone and i can't begin to imagine what people are going through um, but being an ally right now is more important than ever and so having those conversations with my mom especially coming from a multi ethnic multi racial family has been very difficult um, but it's it's a starting spot so yeah and I, I know i i kind of
1: you know resonate with that i think you know, I was like sitting there and feeling all these feelings and emotions, and you know, I think I was—I, my work is this. <laughs> my work is having conversations and and trying to get people to meet me halfway in understanding that not everyone's having the same experience or even half of the same experience based on these systematic issues and I could very easily though get away right um very easily be like okay my work is here and my home life is here and I can kind of take the time to lovingly bring people in at my capacity but because of this pandemic I could not separate it and so just that like scrolling 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 watch the videos scrolling, 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 and it would just result in me feeling all the the emotions. And I don't think I would ever imagine that I'd be having the conversations that I'd be having with my family members. You know, um, I think, especially because I'm married into a family that are new immigrants, or not even new immigrants, but don't recognize the historical context like um, Asia was saying and the fact that they're getting it right it's like it's it brings me hope you know and at the same time it's like having done this work for almost 10 years and knowing that we're not even halfway <laughs> to the, the place that we need to be it's okay, there's a lot more that needs to be done, you know, and I think Chris and I, when we were talking about this podcast, we were like, really talking about the self work that we need to do, right, as people that hold privilege that have, you know, uh, um, spaces that we're doing this work. And also recognizing that even if there's one or two people listening to this podcast, that's one or two more people that hopefully walk away, realizing, right, that, We need to humanize each other, especially black folks, because historically that hasn't happened. And that's why we're here. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of where I've been sitting of like trying to conserve energy because this is going to be a long marathon. But also, you know, feeling really hopeful and sad Mm
3: -hmm. at the same time.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, thank you everyone for sharing. I think, you know, Sharon, to your point, and this is stuff that I've been sitting with too, is like, you know, um, there is no, like, space where this isn't the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, Asia, to your point, like, that is the important relevancy of this time period is because, you know, for Black folks, you you have to think about being black. There's no space where you can go and say, I don't have to think about being black, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, it is a point of privilege that for non-black folks, we have places we can go where we're like, we don't have to worry about race. We don't have to worry about, you know, things that threaten us or whatever. Um, And I think one one of the really great things for non-black folks right now is that, you know, because this is part of every single conversation in so many places that, you know, folks, for folks who, are scared to do the work or have the conversations you kind of can't get away from it right now because Mm -hmm. you, you have to right you know i think for me you know i think about you know um points of privileges that i have and like people that i interact with and yes a lot of people i normally interact with normally would be talking about this anyway because those are where my social circles are and you know i think about my family and you know, my family doesn't necessarily talk about race or talk about racial issues in the United States as often, right? They do occasionally, but not as often. Um, And, you know, particularly, you know, I have cousins who I talk to a lot. And, you know, I have one cousin in the medical field and one cousin who's, um, you know, a programmer at Facebook and like, you know, cousins who are in these fields who normally wouldn't necessarily be talking about this, even though, you know, acknowledging that we should always have been talking about this since the beginning. And what's been really great in having conversations with them is that they have been talking about this, you know, and they've been part of this stuff. And like, you know, it it, it was a really great experience a week or two ago. I forgot what it was a couple weeks ago, a week or, or so ago when I went to go visit my, my cousins and um, I was there for probably like four hours, five hours, something like that. Uh, We spent basically the entire time talking about race, talking about, um, you know, police violence, talking about, you know, politics, um, which is a lot longer than we would have spent talking about this stuff. And, you know, a lot of it kind of delved into different things. You know, Mm -hmm. my one cousin who's an ophthalmologist, you know, was talking to me about you know her experience is starting to kind of do activism work in that field you know she's never done it before and you know there are you know medical professionals who are who are doing you know really comprehensive activism work um around black lives right now and so mm-hmm. she was talking to me about her experiences with that you know and then my my cousin who's you know a programmer at Facebook was telling me about you know I was asking him about you know like tell me what's going on with Facebook you know because you know there's been a lot of stuff going on with Facebook and he's been telling me, you know, his experiences sitting in those like all staff meetings and like being like, you know, I don't really like. He's like, you know, I I, I don't really like think Mark Zuckerberg is really talking about anything important right now. Like he's just, you know, he like is is avoiding the question, right? Like he's not addressing the the question on the table, right? And he talks to me about like how how uh, he's purposefully reaching out to his black colleagues to be like, you know, tell me what I can do to support black engineers and Facebook, you know, he taught, he told me about his experience a few weeks back going with one of his colleagues to a protest, you know, physically going with one of his friends to a protest and being like, you know, let me, let me show up for you. Right. Um, And so these conversations are like, great. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. You know, it's like, we normally would not be necessarily having these conversations, certainly not to this depth and being able to have this opportunity to say, okay, here's where the conversation has always needed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me that's you know that's that's been where where I've been and and where my mind's been,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, I think like even like adding on top of it like the pandemic and like being able to like stay home and like spend more time with your loved ones has like helped with like like this is what's happening in the world like we can't like not talk about it, so like even me and my family have you never really like talk about. Well, we do talk about, like, like, racial issues that we like, experience and stuff, but, like, we never get a chance to, like, sit at a table and, like, it'll be, like, if we're eating or whatever, we'll be eating, whatever, and, like, actually, like, talk about, like, oh, what do you think we should do? Like, what do you, what's your opinions on this and that? And then, like, um especially like hearing my siblings talk about it because like I never really talked to my siblings about that stuff they never really seem into it I feel like I'm always me and my mom are always like the ones into like the political or like social stuff so like hearing them like share their opinions and be like oh like you're right like you're actually like making well, like a lot of sense right now like I wish I could talk to you more about this stuff so it's really cool like hearing finally like getting new voices
3: and Mm -hmm. hearing
2: what they have to say.
3: No, I feel that completely, because in my family, everyone calls me the snowflake. And I hate Mm. that term, because they think that I'm so liberal that I get angry at everything. And so, like, this moment, it's been, you can't avoid it. And I think what the difference is that everyone has smartphones in their hands. And you literally, everything that pops up on your phone, you literally can't avoid the information. So the conversation went a lot differently than, oh, a noob's just spouting off again. It was more so like, okay, we hear you. Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: Or be like, oh, did you see this video? And then like, so like there's blatant like proof and evidence that's mm-hmm. happening and like, okay, well, let's talk about it. There's no denying it. So that's yeah. interesting too. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think this pandemic has made people have to not be like, oh, well, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go work out, right? Like, you can only work out so many hours of the day. <laughs> and so, you know, and in, in, in people are like, well, the only way I can connect with someone is through my phone or through my laptop or through social media, right, or whatever. And then if it's there, you know, then you can't escape it even though people want to. And I think that's what we're going to see in the next couple of days, right? Um, If it's not trending. um, And I think it's eye-opening, right? Because I'm hoping that, you know, this isn't like Mike Brown or Trevon Martin or Sandra Blaine, right? Where it was the hot news and then people were like, well, I don't know if this is real. There's no, you know, evidence. We'll figure it out. I think because people have had to slow down, they've actually had to pay attention and get called out <laughs> on some of their yeah. own shit. Um, people are, I'm hoping, are gonna start to do the work, right? And that's thats why we wanted to talk to the three of you because you all have been doing this work, right? Um, with Mosaic, outside of Mosaic. Um, And, you know, I wanted to kind of just ask you all, like, what has your journey been like, you know, even before this in trying to educate yourself, right? Educating others is like a whole different task, but even to do the work on yourself, because, you know, as a person of color, I know that I still have internalized shit that I'm constantly dealing with. And I've been doing this work for almost 10 years, and I still am like, oh, no, hold on, backtrack. Let's rewind, Sharon, right? So Mm -hmm. what has the journey been like for all of you, right? Because I know that people right now listening may be trying to listen to this so they're doing the work themselves too. But we didn't all start off like, oop, we're here. Um, Yeah.
3: So I thought about this question I did some research, um, and I actually found my fifth-grade book report on the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm. Wow! And so, y'all are probably wondering why is a fifth grader doing a book report on <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you, my siblings are six years older than me, so at the time, they were taking AP US history, mm. and so they were coming home and they were like spouting off some stuff, and I was like whoa, who's that person? I want to learn more. And so that's that's where I traced it back to. But I wouldn't say I did anything with that book. Um, I would say my teacher was very concerned about me um, and was wondering what I was doing. But <laughs> I The so...
0: radicalization of a noob.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I would say I more so started the journey um, in my high school. Um, I went to high school in a very... Um, Predominantly Asian um, school, we had about 0.6% of the school population was Black. Um, One of my closest friends was Black. And, well, there was a group of seven people, and this is, I might cry a little bit, but they were attacking her on Instagram, telling her that she was a mulatto. She was also multiracial and multiethnic like me. Um, that she didn't belong in her school. Um, she didn't deserve to get an education. And they said a lot of hurtful things to her. And she ended up transferring to a different school altogether because the school did nothing. And at the time, I was in ASB. I was doing my thing. And I got into a lot of heavy conversations with higher-ups who were predominantly white. So the demographic of the school was very like subdivided. And to this date, her investigation has never been fully published. It's never been, um, it was revoked from being covered in our school newspaper. And so at that moment, I realized that sure, I might be a woman of color, but what she's going through is a lot more heavy Um, I have a lot more privilege than her and she had to change schools. She had to uproot her whole life because of these seven boys. So that was when I had like kind of my awakening that like, yeah, this is real. Like just because we're in the Silicon Valley doesn't mean we're any different. Just because Mm -hmm. we're a democratic state doesn't mean we're any different. Mm
0: -hmm. These things
3: happen to normal, everyday people who don't deserve it. And so that's when I started educating myself on anti-blackness. I started educating myself on colorism, um, Mm -hmm. which was very instilled into my mother. And I started getting into a lot of heavy conversations with my friend, even though she moved away because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't putting the pressure on her to educate me, but Mm -hmm. I also wanted to make sure that she didn't feel isolated. Mm
0: Thanks Anu. Yeah,
1: and also it's okay to cry. I've cried a lot on this podcast. <laughs>
3: um,
2: for me, I've known. I was. This is something that I even like was thinking about today because I was listening to this podcast and. Oh, this podcast that um, I always tell people about called "The Read," and yes, uh, <laughs> and it's basically two black queer people, and they talk about like what's going on in the world, blah blah blah. And one of them, they're talking about how like black kids, we never get to the chance to like grow up and just be kids and just like live without knowing that people hate us just because of who we are Mm -hmm. um like there are videos of kids out and like at protests screaming and like speaking out and you're thinking like that's crazy that these young people toddlers looking and they're out here living this life and for me like that's like I've known that like anti blackness and racism towards black people has been a thing since like I don't know since I was probably like five or six. So and that's right when you're like starting to like regain consciousness and like memory Aww. and stuff like from the, the beginning. So yeah. it's always been like a a journey. Um but I feel that i kind of made a breakthrough when i think in high school because like i wasn't anti-black towards myself or i i i don't i don't ever think i was but i remember like kind of feeling insecure in my blackness Mm. because of like non-black people, white people telling me what I wasn't or, like, what I was instead of being a black person. Like, I wasn't fitting their stereotypes of me. So, like, oh, you must be this. And, like, I remember I would be, like, so hurt by that. Like, I would have, like, identity crises, you know, like, from, like, middle school, elementary school up. Um, And I think once I... I think one time I was I was somewhere. I was I was with my music friends and we were we were performing somewhere and then whatever something happened and we were listening to music and I heard a song and I was like, Oh I really like this song and I was just chilling, bopping and this guy was like, Oh, like you're not black, why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? Mind you, this is a white dude. So I'm like and then I had a friend of mine who was multiracial uh, Mexican-Japanese and she was like, well, what, what does black look like to you? I'm like, why, like, why are you spotting that at Kennedy? And then I was like, yeah, like, and like, n- it's crazy that like that helped me kind of like click that like anti-blackness from even just trying to like p- police blackness mm-hmm. um, and keeping mm-hmm. black people in a certain box that like oh if you're black you have to be this and you have to be that, um, mm-hmm. and it's okay to be, uh whatever stereotype they want to tell you because, like I I am proud of that. Whenever I see people always make fun of black girls that are loud, be loud. You know like there's a reason behind that, and I appreciate. I want to hear what these people have to say, and I want to hear like that's just part of who we are that's just the authentic- authenticity and to think that like I have to either shun that or even like kind of play into that to make people feel that I am who I am like is kind of I don't know it's a weird battle no I see people like I see tweets like oh before like i saw some sign at some protest saying like oh like cops before you even think like i'm not a thug i have a phd i'm like thug lives matter too like (laughs) Mm -hmm. just because you got a phd doesn't mean like like i don't know like it's kind of weird like at the anti-blackness within the community outside of the community it's like always a constant thing like going from like and like especially where I grew up like in a middle class, like black family setting, like you see that shit all the time. Like, oh, don't be like this or don't dress like that. Mm -hmm. And we want you to look presentable. We want you to be good for this professional setting. And there's like, why can't I just, (laughs) why is that even a problem in the first place? So Mm -hmm. kind of just uh, acknowledging and accepting the authenticity of blackness uh mm-hmm. whatever it is for whoever um mm-hmm. you know that's kind of how i've been educating myself on anti-blackness so I kind of just um kind of pushing back and fighting back against what has been taught to be what blackness is supposed to be and just living my true self
3: Yeah,
0: um,
2: mm-hmm. i feel like i kind of rambled but you know
0: it's okay yeah <laughs> Nice, Kenny.
2: So
4: Kenny basically took all the words out of my mouth Sorry. and just, just... <laughs> <laughs> and, and I only say that because um and and if I'm correct, you grew up in Chatsworth, right, Kenny? Yeah. <laughs> so Chatsworth, in relation to Santa Clarita, where I grew up, is like maybe at most like a thirty minute drive, right? Mm-hmm. And so um they're very similar circumstances um in my home uh, I don't want to claim my hometown in my hometown of Santa Clarita (laughs) unquote (laughs) right I was born in Studio City San Fernando Valley all the way but the majority of my Uh life I grew up (laughs) in um Santa Clarita and it's a predominantly white community uh there it when I was growing up, so this is I moved here in like two thousand three, four or five around there. Um mm-hmm. it was it was very white and you rarely saw other black people. And the only black people that I really, really knew were my cousins who lived like up the street. So it was only because there's that family tie that I knew there were at least some other black people. Um mm-hmm. In regards to growing up and learning about anti blackness, um, I was I was aware of it at a young age because of the area I grew up in and the things I was doing. Um, I started competitive cheer when I was around eight years old, and in cheerleading, you know, you usually yeah yeah, competitive kind of cheerleader go, you know, all that right. So I I, I I I did it all. It was a fun time. I was. I was working it with that, you know, and everything. It was, it was a really fun time. I enjoyed it. But, um, you know, in competitive cheer, you know, you have the uniforms, you have the hair, you have the makeup, and it's all really um, uniform, right? But as as a Black girl growing up, I noticed that I wasn't as skinny as the white girls. My hair took more time to get ready, and the makeup didn't look the same on me as it did them. So, I was always comparing myself to my teammates or even my peers at school because I, that was, that was the goal in my mind. I wanted to look like them. I wanted to be them. And I couldn't do that. Right. There was no way, like as many, you know, wraparound ponytails as I had as, as much as I could, I could do the same cheers. I could do the dances. I could lift people, but I would never be them. And it was, it was soul crushing. And um, you know, it, it really, it really affected the way I saw myself growing up. Um, and even moving into middle school, um, I actually in middle school, my family moved to Aurora, Colorado, which is a suburb outside of Denver. So it's like Santa Clarita, but with snow. And, um, you know that was the time where like uh, like those pop punk bands were coming out, like a 303 and um, you know the graphic tees and that and the winged eyeliner and so I was into all of that. But even as I and and I was generally into it, like I I love those songs. I love that time in my life. I look awkward as fuck, but, but uh, <laughs> you know it's it, it's a time in my life that I I generally enjoy. But I could even see back then how I was constantly trying to assimilate to this to this uh, whiteness right Um, and it it really now thinking sorry I'm getting emotional now thinking about it I feel like I wasn't really enjoying my childhood I was just trying to be the person I thought I should be and mm-hmm. in my mind, it, oh my. I wasn't looking towards anyone who was black because frankly, there was no one besides people in my family who I could look up to. So my, my, um, my role models in terms of beauty, in terms of you know, intelligence, in terms of other things were not people who looked like me. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it, it really took a toll on my confidence as a person and as an individual and as a black individual. Um, and so after middle school, cause then we moved back to Santa Clarita, um, the summer before my freshman year of high school, I don't know how I did it, but I had gained this like confidence, right? I was just like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell those people in Santa Clarita that I'm me, I'm going to do whatever I want and be whoever, you know, I'm going to be. And in high school is when I got a little more vocal in regards to who I was as a, as a black individual, as a black woman. And I could see that and memorize that in terms of certain circumstances. Like one time I was walking um, in my high school and I was walking with a group of friends and I think it was me, another uh, black girl I was friends with. And then, you know, the rest of them were were white and we were walking and they were talking about hair and how um, this one white girl was like, oh, I have to wash my hair every day because it gets oily. And if I don't, da da." da, da. And me and my black friend looked at each other and we were like, well, yeah, like, we can't wash our hair every day or else, you know, it'll get dry and it'll start Mm -hmm. breaking off and da 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 And so she kind of looked at us and she went, ew, so you guys don't, like, shower? And, like, Uh, like, right. right. (laughs) And I was like, no, we shower, but, like, we have to cover our hair with, like, shower caps. And then she proceeds to go, like, I thought those were for, like, old people. And wow you're racist and ageist right (laughs) (laughs) and I was like "Ooh, yeah girl this is not this is not gonna work out and I do not think we're yeah we did not remain friends after that but I remember in high school really trying to find my niche within the very small black community that we did have Um, and it was it was hard because even within that niche there were you know like all groups there were Fights and there were arguments and people didn't like, you know, people for what. And so even in that little group, I had felt isolated enough to move to um, a public charter school for my last two years of high school. And I think um, that experience really, really pushed me to just, I don't even know how to explain it. It pushed me to be even more vocal. And as years went on, I just, kept pushing and pushing the envelope and people didn't like it, of course, but it was my way of saying, you know, this is who I want to be. This is who I am. And I'm not going to let anyone stop me. Um, when I remember talking about anti-blackness, I remember in my last few years of high school at this public charter school, it's a very small school. Um, and it was very loose, right? It was next to the mall. So like, it kind of felt like a nine to five. You go in, you do your little packets, and then we'd be like, hey, guys, you want to have lunch? Yeah. And, you know, we'd walk over to the food court, and it was it was very loose, very loosely structured. And this one guy who I had known from Valencia High School, who had moved to this school, he was a year younger than me, very tall, very, very white, very pale um guy. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> no offense to him, but he's just very, very blonde, very white, very pale. And, you know, he's very, right, that, that's right. him. And um, we were talking and, you know, I started talking about, you know, the privileges of being white. And I remember he kind of shook <laughs> his head and he's like, well, that doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, I'm telling you my experience is straight up. And he said, well, I'm poor and I'm white, so I have no privileges. And so, That's when you started to look into intersectionality and how not only do um, like does race or, you know, gender, sex matter, but, you know, class and how people view themselves. And I think that's the problem that a lot of, um, you know, white people where I'm around see is that they don't see themselves as privileged privileged because they don't have materials, not Mm -hmm. the behaviors of other people. And in that conversation, he had told me, he said, you know, For someone who says that they're so oppressed, it's interesting because your dad has a Jaguar in his garage. So I don't see your oppression that you're talking about. I don't see my privilege. And I was just like, dude, like my dad, first of all, my dad worked hard for that car. But even so, just because he has that car, doesn't mean that he's more or less, no, doesn't mean that he's less likely to get stopped in it or someone to question Mm -hmm. if he's the owner. Mm -hmm. And so- Mm -hmm it was the beginning of my journey of like being more vocal about, you know, anti-Blackness within my community. Um, and I think since being at San Jose, it's San Jose State. I don't think I said that right. Uh, it's led me to challenging the system even more not only in my personal life, but in in institutional systems such as um, institutional and um, outside, academia systems, such as where I worked. Um, I worked at a coffee shop, uh, a well-known coffee shop, and um, there was an incident that I wasn't there for, but I knew of, and one of my coworkers had said something um, racist during one of the racial bias trainings, and it was alerted to one of my bosses, but they didn't really do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And I was going to transfer back to that Starbucks um, later in December um, because I was up in San Jose for school. And so when I transferred in December um, and I was working with this person, like I was trying to keep my cool, but I realized like my values and morals were more, meant more to me than keeping this job. And I was the only black person working at that job. So I had been there for three plus years. And so I was so sick and I was so tired that before you know, the year was over, I told my, I sent an email to my boss and my district manager who were both aware of the situation. And they were like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We didn't know you knew, you know, we wanted to, you know, (laughs) Oh. Oh, it was, it was horrible. It was a whole thing. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I had to leave because like, as, as much as I can sit there and say like, that was a good job and I knew how to do it well. And I was making good money. Like it wasn't fulfilling like my heart and it wasn't standing up to my values and morals as a human being. So I I had to go. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, I got a lot of backlash for it, even from family who were like, Oh, well, you know, companies are like that. And, you know, if you want a paycheck, you sometimes just have to work it out Mm -hmm. on your own and work inside and work your way up. And it's just like, at some point, like for me, I have to draw the line. Mm -hmm. Because as much as I want to work within the system and help make it like I, at this point in time, I'm not ready to have those conversations with those people who should know better already. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. um, I'm really happy that there are people in these spaces, in these places who aren't me, who are capable of having those conversations and who are able to, um, have those on my behalf and so that when i am able to come into those companies and into those organizations that i'm not the only one and i'm not feeling crazy for bringing them up so mm-hmm. i feel like i went on a tangent but hopefully okay. no yeah okay.
0: and and to be fair starbucks garbage um,
4: oh, we're, we're, we're name of names. I should add them. You, say, you said, you said, you said
0: Starbucks. You said oh, Starbucks. did I? Oh, I tried,
4: yeah. to, be, mm-hmm. I, I,
1: I tried <laughs> to be very... I think okay. Starbucks is trash. They just recently uh, yeah. were reported that they're telling their employees not to show support visibly for Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And first of all, freedom of speech, right? I think at this point we get rid of both that because other times, no. Um and uh like who do
2: you think you are and didn't right. they just say black lives matter or some
0: shit it is it is indicative of asia's story right because yeah. it is the reason that they cite and bear in mind this is written in their policy right it's not just an implicit thing. written in their policy mm-hmm. you're not allowed to wear anything that says black lives matter um the reason that they give for it is because they don't want people to feel quote unquote unwelcome, right, so this idea of like if you don't see it, we don't have to talk about it and everyone's a okay like that's kind of what you was talking about, right? Like just like, oh, we didn't know you knew. It's like, oh like you know we 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 thought you would just go along to get along right like right yeah you know. I
1: mean, and that's kind of the the way that whiteness is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, continue to to produce and reproduce itself, right? Mm-hmm. We have systems, right? We have these hegemonic systems that allow for people to um, be like, oh, well, I thought it was okay because it was unspoken, right? Mm-hmm. And then we had we an error or we're like, oh, it's, you know, we no longer live in a racist society mm-hmm. because no one was talking about it visibly, right? And the people who were, they because were... Because Obama. <laughs> right?
3: uh, don't, even,
4: don't even get me started on that. Can you just add, though, Starbucks
3: also uses prison labor. And, and that's uh, that's I'm actually
1: proud. a lot of companies right. use
3: mm-hmm.
1: these, these labors, right? Um, because we are a nation founded on slavery, right? Mm-hmm. We, are, we are a nation founded on systematic genocide of people, right? We either break your soul or we break your backs. And either way, we're going to make our profit. Um, mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, all of these stories are showing and highlighting systematic issues, right? Mm-hmm. To, to have a person who's supposed to be getting their education and at a young age made to feel like they're not going to be accepted, so they might as well leave right mm-hmm. it's that silencing right it's that um even within our relationships whiteness is upheld because like Kenny pointed out right? like if we don't question what the expectations of the reality is right we see it through these stereotypes of how black bodies need to be there's a policing that happens even within our relationships and as like Asia was saying right like it happens in these workplaces. It happens every day and we internalize it. And until we realize that this is not gonna benefit me and you make a choice to educate yourself and you make the choice to change your interactions with people because it doesn't align with your values, we still, even as folks of color and non-black people, we still uphold whiteness, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right?
0: I think, you know, for, for me, you know, um, and you know, we'll get we'll get more into this in part two with stories and stuff. But you know, for me, you know, anti-blackness—the way that I've come to realize it exists within me, both in my upbringing and to continue to this day—you know—that I have to combat. You know, I was similar to what Anoop was sharing. You know, I went to a school where where, or I, I grew up in neighborhoods that was predominantly Asian, and had very few. um of anybody from any other racial ethnic backgrounds, particularly black folks, right? So my high school, which was a high school of about, uh, probably about 1400 people, or I'm sorry, 14,000 people. Uh, That might be wrong. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Couple thousand, (laughs) couple tens of thousands, whatever it is. Um, I remember my graduating class in high school, we had, I think three black people, right? Um, and, uh, um, who, who obviously people knew, right? Like you knew them because there are three of them. Right. Uh, (laughs) and, and so as a result, you know, um, a lot of the kind of anti-blackness that I kind of uncovered for myself later on is that not necessarily that it was overt actions of, you know, racist interpersonal actions. Right it was more like a lot of the ideological things, right? Cause I didn't have experience with black folks. I didn't have experience with quote unquote black culture or quote unquote black, you know, like neighborhoods. Right. So like, what did I understand about like black, um, experiences? It came from media. It came from, you know, movies and TV and like, Mm. whatever. Right. So I had a very stereotypical view of what it meant to be black in the United States. Right. And, um, So even to this day, you know, I catch myself sometimes thinking like, oh, you know, we're going to connect on like sports or we're going to connect on hip hop or we're going to connect on, you know, all these things. And it's like, wait, you know, I have to check myself and think like, am I talking to this person about sports because I think they like sports or am I talking to this person about sports because they present as black and that's just in my head, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like growing up, you know, there was a lot of that for me and it was like, you know. I didn't I didn't know what it was like to be black in the United States unless it was said on TV, right? And so, and particularly in the 90s when when TV was even more problematic than it is today. Mm-hmm. Like there are not a lot of good portrayals of like holistic black experiences, right? It was all stereotypes. Um so, you know, black folks they saw on TV in the 90s by and large were, you know, criminals, or by and large were, like, you know, the quote-unquote urban one, you know, you'd have, like, your, like, diverse group of friends, and one person would be a nerd, and one person would be a jock, right, and so, like, you know, black folks get slotted in those, like, specific roles, right, Mm -hmm. and so, for me growing up, you know, like, a lot of what I had to unlearn was that, you know, it's like, you know, just cause you're black doesn't mean you can't be X, Y, Z. Right. And so,
2: um,
0: you know, knowing that, you know, there are black folks who, you know, like things that I didn't necessarily associate with blackness. Right. And like, particularly since I have no authority on defining blackness anyway. Right. Um, and knowing that there are black folks who just, you know, they did their own thing. Right. And like, being like, oh, yeah, yeah, like that is a totally legitimate expression of who you are, and you don't need to conform to the stereotype, right? And so for me, that, you know, a lot of what I had to kind of unlearn was that kind of socialization, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And, and going back to what Kenny had said prior, like, if you are angry, like, be angry. Like, fuck the stereotype, you know? And mm-hmm. I think we're, we're realizing, I think a lot of the work previously was to, like, break down this stereotype and be like, look, this brown or black person isn't this stereotype. It's like, fuck that. Like, even if you are, and that's who you are, because you choose to be that person, like, that is where we need to be, you know? And I think, like, this is ongoing work um, for ourselves, right? But as, you know, I know Chris and I will be tapped, you know, in the upcoming semester to do this work to have these conversations. But um, what are some things that you all would like to, you know, share and, and see kind of what would you like someone else to be learning as well in their journey?
0: Everybody looks up and thinks. Mm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we all become that like calculation meme of that white lady. I don't know her.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean it's a hard question to even think about, right? Because on one note on one side, like personally, I don't want to tell people, right, to that like you got to do this work, but at the same time we're at a at a point I feel like in my lifetime where I'm like, we need to do this self work, right? Like um mm-hmm. um Sonia uh, Renee Taylor has videos on um on their Instagram um where they're they kind of alluded not alluded they they just talked about like how uh, we all have a child within us that doesn't get attention, that doesn't get the love, that doesn't get the, the knowledge that we all need, right? And um, that, though, ends up being, and she's spe- specifically talking about white people who then take that child and put the care and the learning of that child onto other people, right? Mm-hmm. And we can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I just feel like, you know, and that's where that question comes from. It's like, we can't rely on other people to take care of the pain and the hurt and the guilt, Mm -hmm. right, of not knowing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's about taking, like, doing self-work is taking ownership. And there should be, like, compassion and love that I'm, I'm going to therapy, y'all. Um, <laughs> there need to <laughs> um, there needs to be compassion her. and love and taking care, um, you know, of ourselves and in our learning so that we're not creating these products of pain, right? And, um, you know, for myself, I just feel like I would really love people out there to to reflect and do some of the listening. Like mm. just start, like the very foundational work of listen, like mm. shush, you know? mm, shush, right? Like I just need you to, to listen to people and not come up, right? Because what I've found very recently and I can see it on the online post is like, you're not listening, you're not reading, you're thinking of the next thing that you're gonna say. -hmm. Right, and I and I need people to not think about the next thing they're gonna say, and I need you to sit in that guilt and shame because that's the road to feeling compassion and kindness for yourself and for others, Mm -hmm. right? Because you obviously feel like there's something, um, you know, I speak for myself, right? Like there's so many moments where I wish I could go back and intervene in the pain or in the, you know, the, the jokes, right? Quote, unquote, the jokes that happen. the, you know, the jokes about black people's appearance or skin being too dark or, you know, um, and I wish I had within my own family um, sat down and be like, why did we think that was funny? why did we think it was funny to make fun of the gay person? Right? Why did we think it was funny to make fun of that black person's hair? Um, and, and so I, I really you know, implore everyone to like, do your homework, right? as an educator, <laughs> do your homework, um, <laughs> listen, and then start to jump into conversations. Because right? mm-hmm. I think if you mm-hmm. start just jumping to conversations we get that performative activism happening because you're not listening um, mm-hmm. so yeah
2: yeah exactly I was I, I kind of wanted to say something kind of like that because um, like part of like how I learn most is is like just by listening to people I just want to hear like your experience like hear what you have to say about this and um, And what helped me as I, like, kind of started uh, learning more about, like, the world I live in, the world, like, the person that I am, I think Mm -hmm. really helped was just, like, writing it down, like, journaling. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of, like, or, like, just having it, like, physically there, because, like, it could be, like, kind of, like... looking at it kind of like a math problem like this is this and this is what I think about this and this is what this is so how does this make sense so you're kind of like looking at it and just like kind of visualizing Mm. that helped me a lot because when I was growing up like your parents kind of teach you what's right and what's wrong um Mm. and like you kind of just go with it But I remember, like, I started asking myself, like, okay, these are things that I believe, but, like, why do I believe these things? And and what are different ways of thinking about this belief? And what do I think about this now? Um, And I just think also part of that learning is accepting that you were wrong (laughs) and being okay with changing your mind, because that's okay. Hmm. There's a lot of people that, like, especially like liberal people they don't want to admit that they were wrong and they don't want to change their opinion on things and like no it's okay to change your opinion you're just Mm -hmm. getting better that's perfectly fine that's good um and um yeah just like also like kind of like putting yourself in spaces with people who would know a little bit more um mm-hmm. like i liked what you said when you said um it's okay to just listen for a sec and without saying anything cuz there are a lot of like in the past couple of weeks there've been a lot of like celebrities black celebrities that have been saying like some outlandish i don't know if that's the right word i don't know they've been saying some uneducated things or and they're just kind of saying it because like oh they're i'm being urge to give an answer give a comment and sometimes it's best just to say I just want to listen and learn more before I even say anything uh sometimes you don't need to say shit you just need Mm -hmm. to open your purse um and like that's okay like I I know like a lot of people want people to to like make statements but like there is at a certain point where like, you're just seeing everybody make a statement and you're just like, I know this is not genuine. So Mm -hmm. just learning when to just sit with what you're being given and just Mm -hmm. think about it. You don't have to say anything now. Just Mm -hmm. think about it, let it kind of marinate in your head. And then you kind of realize, okay, this is what I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. That's really helped me even just like kind of, so, we're developing my identity of blackness or even gender, like just kind of mm-hmm. sitting with it and just like kind of writing it down, listening, and then just mm-hmm. kind of like thinking about it, just taking that time. You don't need mm-hmm. to know everything right now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just being patient. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, something that Kenny had said earlier on that I think is important to share with people who are learning. Um, well, first of all, like this is some people's first times really like diving into the black community, like that's not surface level. Um, and so I think sharing, um, that the, that the black, that black people, that black culture isn't monolithic and it's not just Mm -hmm. one thing is super important. Um, So recently my family had a new neighbor move in next door and our neighbor happens to be a cop and he happens to be white. So this is (laughs) a very, um, uh, it's not a tense, I mean, it's a tense time to be in this dilemma, right? To be a black family next to a white cop. Um, And so the other day I was doing uh, yoga online um, with Armani and my window was open and I and I happened to hear like voices and I hear my neighbor's voice and I hear my mom's voice. I'm like, oh my gosh, hold up, what's going on, right? And I'm peeking through the blinds, you know, being nosy. And, <laughs> you know, as, as we do. And, um, <laughs> you know, I run downstairs and I open the front door and my mom, my dad and my uncle Dan are on one side, you know, over here and then our cop is on our lawn on this side and then I'm in the middle of the front door. And, you know, having this conversation, the conversation itself was very, was very cool. It was very calm, like nobody was yelling. You know, it was just just a typical conversation that needed to be had, I'm very thankful for that. Um, But one thing my neighbor had said that kind of made me go like this was um, he said, you know, man, like I just wish, you know, more people were like you guys, like more black people were like you guys. And I kind of stood there And I looked at him and my mom basically said like, oh, I wish more cops were like you who would sit here and listen and talk. But I felt like those two comments were like, were said different. Like for my mom, it was like, we wish more cops were like you because you're sitting here talking to people, right? Mm -hmm. And you're understanding and you're trying to listen, right? You're making that effort. Whereas from his perspective, it was like, man, I wish more Black people were like you. And, you know, whether... I, 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 to be honest, I'm assuming, and I can't really sit here and say what he meant by that comment because I'm not him, but as a black individual, you get defensive. Like, what does he mean by people like us? Are you talking about a black middle-class family? Are you talking about, you know, black people who aren't too loud, who don't cause a ruckus? Like, what did you mean by that comment? And, you know, as someone who... um you know, upholds the law and is supposed to enforce it, like, and who works in communities, unlike Santa Clarita, where the population are a majority of black and brown people. It was kind of like, you know, you're working with, black people are just as varied as any other race. Right. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't have to fall upon like being a um, model minority in the black sense for you Mm -hmm. to feel compassion for black people or to feel like you can talk to black people because in your line of work, like you're going to have to deal with right. any number right. of people in any a varied of ways. So I think just understanding and like Kenny had said, like people are like, Oh, well, I have a PhD. Do I matter now? Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> it, it does
1: black, not matter.
4: Right. Mm-hmm. Like you're just because you, obtained an educational feat which is great does not mean that your life as a black person matters more than the person who may not have reached that same feat so mm-hmm. you know again i think people should learn more about the black community understand that we are more than just our stereotypes but we are not but we are not limited to you know having to break those stereotypes as well if we want to be loud we can be loud we can be quiet and loud we it's the word and we can do this and this, it's not Mm -hmm. for this. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think that's super important for people who are are learning right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as a person who
3: has been involved in social justice spaces before, I know that diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings are not enough. They barely scratch the surface. And so just hearing people say, unblock me, if you don't believe this, it's, It's toxic in that you're not allowing that person to have a dialogue. You're not allowing that person to see another side to it. You're just allowing them to exist in that negative space. And I'm not saying anything like we should be educating them. I'm saying that we should be giving them perspective. Um, One of my favorite quotes is from W.E.B. Du Bois. And they said that education must not teach work. It must teach life. And that's something that I personally believe in a lot just because being a first-generation college student, being someone in my family going to college, education has opened a lot of doors for me. And so something I would like to leave people with is to educate themselves, just to be open to learn in the first place. And when you have conversations with people recognize that that space is sacred that space is safe but what you learn from that space it could leave
0: one thing that i think i would love for folks to learn you know as we're doing this work and this is you know um this is uh specifically you know talking to um a lot of privileged folks um although not exclusively, but for the most part, privileged privileged folks, Um, we have a tendency to um, conflate racism and anti-blackness with things that aren't related to racism. So, like, the the thesis statement is, yes, um, it is a moral imperative that you are not racist. Like, you morally should not be racist. You morally should not be anti-black. Okay, that's out of the way. Now, committing racist acts or committing anti-black acts is not a reflection of whether you're a good person or not. And the reason I bring that up is because oftentimes we will confront somebody with a racist act and say, you did something that was racist. And that person will say, I can't possibly be racist because I'm a good person. <laughs> and you have to stop and be like, whether or not you are a good person does not mean anything about whether or not you committed a racist act. Being a good person does not negate racism. Being a bad person does not engender racism being good or bad has nothing to do with whether or not what you just did or said was racist. Um, so, you know, but that's where the conversation is, even on a national level, you know, it's like when people like try to call out like Donald Trump and say, the thing you just said was racist. All of his, de- like all of his defenders will go, Oh, but no, but he's a good person. He can't possibly be racist. And it's like, that does nothing to do with anything. Nobody was talking about whether he was a good person or not. We're talking about that thing he said on TV and whether or not it was racist. Right. So I, I think, you know, the artificial conflation of whether or not you're a good person and whether or not you said something racist, we need to, like, separate that. Like, nothing to do with whether or not you're a good person.
1: Right, because we have to acknowledge that racism and anti-Blackness has taken a hold within these systems right and even if we are good like i you know people are like you're like my big sister you're like my mom like i learned so much from you but like that doesn't mean i'm like good or bad is like related to like our relationship and it's a it's, it's subjective mm-hmm. right but racism and anti-blackness is sometimes not all the time, sometimes unconscious, right? Mm -hmm. Because we get taught all these messages at the same time, right? And fairy tales are not real life, Mm -hmm. right? We're not going to have a white prince come and save us Mm -hmm. because the white prince doesn't realize that like we don't need him, (laughs) right? Like, Like if you think like that's, that's the analogy that I think I I am like, you know, like all these messages are ingrained from early on, but they don't have to do with us realizing systems. They have to. They're they, the these these lessons that we're taught are about good or bad, right? There are good people and there are bad people, but like that's not the
3: conversation we're having here. Mm. To add to that really quickly, Mm -hmm. because I just saw something recently in the news where um, someone had petitioned to Merriam-Webster to change the definition of racism to include systemic and unconscious behaviors. So I think that speaks volumes that a dictionary, something that doesn't change regularly, is being redefined and hadn't been redefined for a long time, even though all the subsistence systemic oppression was going on mm.
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um, like as as a as a black individual it's also taking those like seemingly like mm-hmm. they're they're racist but like seemingly like nice compliments or like comments that people like tell you and then also like, pushing them away and dismantling them like I remember as a kid many teachers of mine would be like oh my gosh like you're so articulate like I'm so impressed and I as a kid I'm like oh yeah like I'm great you know what Mm -hmm. I mean like that was an ego boost but you know as I've grown up it's like oh you didn't think I would be like this like you were surprised when I could speak a full sentence and sound very mature grown up and you know just being able to now realize that as an adult and when that happens again, you know, push back um, from it and be like, well, what do you mean by mm-hmm. that? And have them mm-hmm. think about what they just said and me not doing all of the work for them. Right. Because people get defensive. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely.
1: Um, thank you, everyone, for, for sharing. Um, to kind of close off this podcast, um, you know, and encouraging everyone to do this work, um, you know, what is um, what is a change that you all want to see in your lifetime? Um right? Given everything is happening, um, and knowing that this is a marathon and not a sprint, um, what is like one change that you would like to
3: see? And the vote change
4: mm. Mm.
2: This is a hard question because, like, i i've grown very to be very pessimistic so i'm kind of just like what's the point um so (laughs) yep so yeah i don't i i don't know i need to take some time to answer yeah
1: yeah i mean and i think you know
0: that's adulthood
1: you can also say that i don't know and and that's part of this journey too right um I know for me, I've been, so when, um, curfew started to hit last week, later last week in the Bay area, um, uh, my mom, um, there was like a loud bang and, you know, people were protesting off the main road, I think. And my mom got really scared cause she's a single mother, um, with kids. And I think she kind of just got everyone away from the windows, um, and the next day, the day after I was texting, right? This is how we communicate now. I was texting my, my nine-year-old sister and um, I was like, how are you? Um, how's it going? And she was like, I'm okay. I feel a little scared right now. I, you know, mom, mom started to tell, like yell at us to, to get away and go upstairs. And, um, you know, I got really scared. And I had to, you know, have a text conversation with my nine-year-old sister about what's going on, right, and, and, and get her to understand what was happening in this period of time because it's already so jarring for kids right now to not have the normalcy of going to school, seeing their friends, right, not being able to celebrate their birthday parties or go to the park or being able to, like, hug or see. Like, I haven't seen my family in two months. Um, And it's, like, an essence of who I am, right? But through text, I had to explain what a protest is, why people are angry and hurt and sad, and how eventually, you know, because of a protest, maybe things will change, right? And I had to, I had to be, I had to, like, balance this, this, this line of, you know, letting her know that she's safe because she was scared to go in her ba- own backyard after that. I had to balance the line of her feeling like she has ownership over her body and her environment, right? Which is like, I, I can't guarantee that. But to a nine-year-old, I, I felt like I had to be like, it's okay to feel safe in your backyard in this moment. Um, And then I had to through text message say like, you know, people are really sad right now. And that's why they're protesting so that eventually change will happen. And I really want, you know, in the future of these kids, you know, for people to be able to voice their sadness, their hurt, their pain, their anger, and it's not met with violence like the bare minimum, right? Which is built into our constitution that we have a right to assemble um, and that to be upheld, right? And I I think that needs to start with our communities Mm -hmm. re-examining and abolishing some of these systematic um, institutions that have taken hold. Um, So that's something that I really hope happens within my lifetime and my sister's lifetime. That was beautiful. Thanks. I parent through text right now. i <laughs> through no. FaceTime.
2: <laughs> that sounds like a service, like
1: parent through text.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wash your hands and don't be racist. Okay, honey, love
0: you.
3: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah.
0: There are some folks who could really use that.
4: Uh, yeah, that'd be nice.
0: <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like my media wants are are kind of the obvious ones, right? Like, I want people to stop killing black people. Um, I, right. Um, I I I want people to mm-hmm. keep talking <laughs> because inevitably this will die down, right? Like. Everything moves in waves, right? So at, th- at some point, this will die down a little bit. And when that happens, I want people to still be talking, right? Like, just because it died down doesn't mean that you're done talking. Um, and and I guess a long-term one for me would be, you know, I want people to to be okay with acknowledging their the racist and anti-Black socializations, you know? Just because you were socialized that way doesn't mean, again, it's not a moral mm-hmm. question, right? Like, we all grew up watching the same TV. I mean, if you were socializing in the United States, we grew up watching the same TV, same movies, you know, listen mm-hmm. to the same music. Of mm-hmm. course you're going to get anti-Blackness. It's buried in there, you know? So, like, we need to be okay with confronting that and not think that it's some sort of indictment on who we are as individuals. I think
4: similar to what Sharon and Kenny had said um, earlier in this podcast is I'm... It's, it's not really a change in my lifetime, that affects me as an individual, but how it affects um, my future children who are going to be Black and other future Black children. Um, you know, you you see, um, like, in social media and on the news and everywhere else that it's not just people our age or older that are protesting. It's people who are seven and six and five and four. And, you know, Black children really aren't able to have a childhood. And it's not just because there's a protest, but it's because you're made aware of who you are and how that plays a role in our society at a young age, and so not only are you—it's like a double consciousness. Not only are you aware, W. E. D. Boys, African American Studies. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, not only are you aware as a person, but you're aware of how other people look at you as well. So you're you're made to be more mature if you're you know a black woman. Uh, or not a Black woman, a Black girl, let me say a Black girl, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, that childhood is lost, that innocence is lost. Um, black boys are made to seem more threatening. And, you know, they're seen as 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 grown adults um, and are treated as such. And I really want, and I was fortunate enough to have a semblance of a childhood. Like, yes, I was aware of my Blackness, but I understood I did childhood things that other black children don't get to have but even so i want my black children to not be ignorant about who they are and how how the world sees them but also despite that still have that childlike wonder and remain a child for as long as possible because it it is taken away fairly quickly and it's not fair and hopefully with everything that's going on now in 2020 um it'll affect how whenever I have kids in the future um whatever year that is not anytime soon (laughs) Um, (laughs) hopefully that'll that'll incite the change that will be the seed um that is planted now and you know in the future it'll be the tree that they're playing under later Mm. so I just want them to be kids that's it now that was beautiful Mm. thanks y'all
2: I think that kind of gave me like something to kind of hope to see in the future is kind of, well, not like directly related, but just kind of seeing more unity within the Black community. Um, There's like a lot of, I just want like us to be just like, this (laughs) is it. Like we're close-knit, like we fight for Mm. each other. Because like, even in these movements, we always see like it's centered around cis Mm -hmm. men you know Mm -hmm. cis black men and you know we kind of forget the black women and the black trans folks and the black queer Mm -hmm. folks that are being um and even like the black disabled folks too like yeah um like we're kind of just ignoring that and we're just like oh we need to just focus on this one thing and then we can think about this and like no like we need to think about this right now all together like i feel like once we all like kind of learn that um, we all got each other's backs, mm-hmm. that, I don't know. I just think that we would all kind of get a lot further and we'll feel a lot better to kind of live in this world that we have, just knowing that we got each other. Um, and, yeah. Like, we, we we see the force that we have. Like, just imagine if we all just (laughs) did that all black lives
4: matter
1: yeah all day every day all the time (laughs) yeah
3: um i would say echoing what kenny and asia have just said i think there's a lot of power in community and coalition building um and that's something that was missing before and that we can build upon now. One of my favorite quotes, um, just from reading a lot of books because that's the nerd in me, um, is from Audre Lorde. And she says that without community, there is no liberation. And to me that rings true because a community is a diverse group of people and all Black lives matter. So we must make sure that like all their lives are put into consideration and that comes with other minorities also recognizing that they must hold space as mm-hmm. well. Other non-Black mm-hmm. folks, white folks, owning to their privilege. And that's, that's a hard thing to sit in. And I encourage more people to sit in that privilege because from a pra- place of privilege, you can get a lot of things done. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those would be my last words. I hope that in future, there's more community building and people are more open just to sit, talk to one another, I feel like. I see everyone behind a screen, but I don't see people in a lot of spaces like these podcasts. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah, thanks, Luke.
4: We can't beat them if we beat each other. (laughs) That's true.
0: Cool. (laughs) Um, So thank you all for sitting in on this. Thank you all for sharing um this has been a fantastic panel and fantastic discussion um and hopefully we'll be able to get to do this again soon um so for now you know i think we're going to close out uh this episode from mosaic station stay tuned for part two um yeah so thank you kenny thank you asia thank you anuke uh for being part of this even during the summer Um, And then thank you, Sharon, for helping lead this discussion.
1: Yeah, thank you all. Um, Take care of yourselves, you know, take those moments to eat, drink, like the the basic needs need to be met. Um, And, you know, we're here. Mosaic is here over the summer. Um, You know, if you need to process, we're holding those virtual office hours um and chris and i are committed to continue to build a community where um work is being done we're learning we're not stopping the summer does not mean we we stop because clearly life does not stop so um take care love you all bye (laughs) bye
0: Bye,
4: thank you Listen, listen carefully.